Welcome to Sermons from the Edge, a ministry of the Edge Church in Winona, Minnesota, a place where it's okay to not be okay, where you can come and you belong just as you are, no matter what you're facing. We pray this message will be a blessing to you. This morning we're going to go back to um, Romans chapter 13, uh, and the title of my message is, is this morning is God Put the Wrong People in Charge. Some of you didn't hear that. God put the wrong people in charge. All right, that's okay. That's okay. Uh, Romans, uh, the first, first nine or ten chapters of Romans, Paul, and we went through this excellent job of telling us about our need for a Savior. We need a Savior. We have sin. There's a problem. We've done the wrong things. We need a Savior. And now in about chapter 12, and we talked about this a couple weeks ago, Paul kind of turns a corner on, the, on his teaching to the Roman people And he kind of goes from, you need a Savior, to when you receive a Savior, this is what it looks like in your life. Accept Christ as your Savior, this is how it plays out. This is the change. This is what your life begins to look like in that situation. Uh, This morning, we're actually going to be looking at how we respond to our earthly governments, uh, which should be kind of an interesting thing for us. We recognize that the Bible says that when we accept Christ as our Lord and Savior, we become citizens of heaven. We become adopted into the family of God. And so, in essence, as a Christian, as a Christ follower, we are aliens in this world. All right? We are foreigners in the world that we live in because our citizenship is with Christ. And so, that's kind of the context of where we're at. Why are we here then? Well, as Christ followers, we, we are here as ambassadors or as representatives of Jesus Christ. It's an interesting concept, and I want you to begin to overlay that concept on your life. If you are a Christ follower, your purpose on earth is to be an ambassador for Christ, a representative of who Jesus is to the whole world around us. So how do we do that? Excuse me. How do we live as an representative? Uh, There's there's incredible... uh, political things that are happening. And and this morning, I'm not talking about politics. I don't often talk about politics anyway. Uh, But but this morning, we live in a very tumultuous period. Some of us in in the room this morning probably would say, uh, we currently have the worst president ever. Some of us would probably say the last president was the worst ever. Some of us might even think that the next president is the worst, even though we don't know who it is. There's all kinds of turmoil about our leadership and about the the governing bodies above us, but what really matters this morning is not what side you're on, but whose you are. Not what side you're on, but whose you are. Because we are daughters and sons of the King of Kings, and we are only here as foreigners in this country, but as we serve the Lord, there's things that He asks of us or that He expects of us, and it's clearly pointed out uh, in, in what the Bible says. Now, if you, if you hear what I say and say, yeah, the, the, the wrong person's in charge, and this is a great message because that person across the room that I've talked to about this, they are so far off base, I hope they sit up and listen. Can I just tell you that's the wrong mentality? You need to sit up and listen to this because it's for every single one of us. No matter what our political agenda is or whatever your thoughts are about politics, or what our leadership does or does not do right. Today, we're looking at what God says for every single one of us as Christ followers. 
And so we're going to jump into this. There's a, a little bit of a, uh, there's a, there's quite a bit of scripture that I'm going to be reading to you this morning, uh, mostly because I can't tell it any better than they wrote it in the Bible. And so I'll give you some thoughts, but we're going to read quite a bit of scripture this morning. We're going to begin in Romans chapter 13, verse 1, <clears throat> and read about eight verses. It says, let everyone be subject to the governing authorities, for there is, there is no authority except that which God has established. Can you just read that little part with me? For there is, no, you can read it with me, okay? There is no authority except that which God has established. Very, very good. The authorities that exist have been established by God. Consequently, whoever rebels against the authority is rebelling against what God instituted, and those who do so will bring judgment upon themselves. For rulers hold no terror for those who do right, but, those who do, but for those who do wrong. Do you want it from fear and the one of, or of the one of authority? Then do what is right and you will be commended. For the one in authority is God's servant for your good. Isn't that an interesting statement? The one in authority is God's servant for your good. It's interesting. Sometimes we look at authority and go, well, that's just wrong. It's just, I mean, that's not, God made a mistake. God put the wrong person in authority. Uh, the title of my message. But God, uh, it says, put that person there for your good. But if you do wrong, be afraid, for rulers do not bear the sword for no reason. They are God's servants, agents of wrath to bring punishment on wrongdoers. Therefore, it is necessary to submit to the authorities, not only because of the possible punishment, but also as a matter of conscience. This is also why you pay taxes for the authorities of God's servant. For the for authorities are God's servants for give, so give, who give them... <laughs> Wow, I got confused on taxes and I can't get past it. <laughs> this is also why you pay taxes, for the authorities are God's servants who give their full time to governing. Give to everyone what you owe them. It is if you owe taxes, pay taxes. If revenue, then revenue. If respect, then respect. If honor, then honor. Let no debt remain outstanding except the continued debt to love one another. For whoever loves others has fulfilled the law. Yeah, but, yeah, but, yeah, but Pastor Chuck, I mean, there's this other situation, and yeah, I mean, it's, yeah, it's just not, I mean, the Bible's kind of, kind of there, and it seems pretty clear, but, you know, there's this other, um, have you ever done that, or thought that, maybe not been willing to say that, think those things, don't we? Well, I, I was in a hurry, and I was going to be late for that meeting with Pastor Chuck, and so I, I did drive 95 in a 55, but it was only because I didn't want to be late to meet with Pastor Chuck, right? Yeah, but it's interesting how we sometimes try to quantify the Bible. I did kind of a, a little bit of a, a background on this uh, and a reminder for us this morning. Uh, Paul is actually writing in, the, in this context as he's writing to people that are under the leadership, the governorship of the Roman Empire, if you remember, we talked about the Roman Empire. The Roman Empire was literally savage. You either did what they said you did or you paid the consequences, a lot of times with, their, with your life. The Roman Empire was the, the empire that crucified Jesus. And you remember, we sanitized the cross and Calvary and crucifixion because it's Jesus, and we know that Jesus went for a purpose. He went there without sin and yet took on our sin it paid the price of that, but we oftentimes kind of overlook the whole idea of crucifixion. Remember when we talked about that, how we said how the Roman Empire perfected the art 
of creating the maximum amount of pain for the longest duration of time. That was crucifixion. They literally practiced and perfected this idea that we're going to torture this person as long as possible before they die. Paul is writing to that environment and saying, listen, you need to honor authority. You need to, to, to give due. You need to pay your taxes. He also is writing about a, a Roman government that at, at some point in the near future, and Paul seemed to realize this, at some point in the near future, that Roman government was going to behead him because of his faith. Paul was not saying, well, you know, if it fits your agenda, go ahead and just pay honor or give, give taxes. Paul was saying, listen, this is what we do as Christ's followers. There's a couple things that I want to just point out in this key little pieces of these phrases from Romans chapter 13. Uh, the first is this, <clears throat> that very first part of that verse, and if you want to put that, that verse back up, Romans 8, 13, 1, um, it says, let everyone... That's an interesting word. I decided to study a little bit longer on that, that get the original Greek and history and uh, all of those things. The context, it's fascinating. It's kind of the, an interesting result. When it says, let everyone, it, it means, what do you think that means? Anybody idea? It actually means everyone. Isn't that unique? It's, it's one of those just really fascinating things that it actually means let everyone. Literally, it means every single one. That means you it means me, it means everyone that is a follower of Jesus is supposed to do this. I recognize sometimes it's hard for us to do that, but it actually is everyone. The second part of that verse, it says, let everyone be subject. When that, that, that idea of being subject means to obey. It literally means just to obey, obey the laws of the land. In other words, if you're going to be a good citizen, if you're going to be a follower of Christ, Everyone needs to obey. In other words, don't skirt around the law. Don't try to avoid the law. Don't try to stretch the law. Don't end up in jail. Don't do the things that will, will cause you to be looked at uh, in a negative light. Don't give up <clears throat> because of the Roman government. Don't make excuses because you're stressing over it. Everyone follow the law. There's some, there are some boundaries. I'll just say this and we'll, we'll unpack this for a moment. There are some boundaries <clears throat> or there's, yeah, there are some boundaries that go along with obedience. Some just really got excited. When I say there's some boundaries that go along with obedience, all of us kind of went, well, there you go. That's awesome. There's my out. Now, there's boundaries, so I don't have to obey everything because I can go to the boundaries and hide behind that. But that's not necessarily what it is. Although we love loopholes to rules, that's not necessarily what it's talking about. The Bible talks about submission a lot uh, in Scripture, and we read a lot about su su uh, submission in Scripture, but I want to just encourage you, when you hear about submission in Scripture, <clears throat> sometimes we have this idea that uh, we can just pull out that verse and quote that verse, and then that'll be my theology. For example, one of the most common ones I hear a lot is, wives, submit to your husbands. And, and guys, can I, just, can I just tell you guys, if, if you're married and you're in a situation where there's a disagreement between husband and wife and you go to that verse where it says, wives submit to your husbands, you just lost, okay? In fact, I'll even take it a little bit farther than that. If you get in that situation, in that context, 
And you say, wives, submit to your husband. You're going to submit to me. It's my way. Wives, at that point, you have, the, uh, the, you have my permission to just slap him. <laughs> I'm just kidding. I know that some are going to take that. That is a joke, okay? That's, that verse is not talking about it in that context. It says, actually, prior to that, we are su- to submit to one another, and then wives submit to your husband. There's context in all of these things. And so when I say that there's context in this idea of, of boundaries and being submissive to authorities... Uh, We have to take it for what it is. Biblical submission is neither blind nor absolute, but it is always respectful. I want you to get that statement. Biblical submission is neither blind nor absolute, but it is always respectful. We're going to look at a couple of different different passages that kind of unwrap this for us. Uh, One is in Acts chapter 4. Paul is uh, before the Sanhedrin, and the Sanhedrin is telling them, you have to stop preaching about Jesus. Remember, they were being effective and people were following them and the leaders, spiritual leaders were getting nervous that they were losing power and influence. And so they called them in and said, what are you doing? And they didn't know what to do. And so they, they sent them out and, and they bring them back and they say, they called back the apostles, commanded them never again to speak or teach in the name of Jesus. <clears throat> But Peter and John replied, do you think God wants us to obey you rather than him? We cannot stop telling about everything he, we have seen and heard. <clears throat> Did you catch what he was saying? Do you think that we're supposed to obey you rather than Jesus, rather than God? Saying, in essence, say, I can't do that. But do you notice that it, nowhere in the Bible, in this situation or others, Nowhere is there this aspect of being disrespectful. Yes, they stood on the truth, and yet in this situation, they were telling them, the, the, the apostles, you have to stop doing what Jesus told you to start. There is that, there that I, we respect authority, but we do stand on the Bible. Daniel, in the Old Testament, in Daniel chapter 3, the, con, the familiar story of Daniel and Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, uh, they were told to bow down before the king, King Nebuchadnezzar, and it created this same scenario where, okay, uh, how, do we, how do we submit without being disrespectful, but also there's a higher power, there's God that we need to submit to ultimately. Shadrach, Meshach, and in Daniel chapter 3, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego re- replied, O Nebuchadnezzar, we do not need to defend ourselves before you if we are thrown into the burning furnace the God whom we serve is able to save us. They weren't saying, we're not, I don't care what you say, we're not doing it. They weren't saying, you can't throw us in the furnace just because we're disobeying you. They were saying, listen, we don't, we don't feel a need to, to defend ourselves. But look what, look what he says, look what they say going forward even. He will rescue us from your power, your majesty, but even if he doesn't, we, will make, we want to make it clear, Your Majesty, that we will never serve your gods or worship the gold statue you have set up. There's this aspect of ab- biblical submission is neither blind nor loot. These, these, this example shows us, listen, and, and look at how many times he says, Your Majesty. You know what? Your Majesty, we won't, we're not going to do this. Your Majesty, even if he doesn't, we still can't do what you're telling us to do. There wasn't a disrespect for authority. But there was this idea in that situation that they couldn't do what they were being told to do by authority. King Nebuchadnezzar made another decree later in chapter 6. 
uh, the, the other leaders around Daniel were frustrated with him that he seemed to be getting more and more power and they tried to examine his life and find things that they could do to, to tear down his character and his nature and reduce his influence in the eyes of King Nebuchadnezzar. They could find nothing because, because Daniel was a, a godly man. And so they went to the king and said, hey, we're going we're gonna to trick the king into making a decree that, ever, that nobody can pray to anybody but the king. I want to read this to you. Uh, it's a little bit longer, so they concluded, and they concluded, our only chance of finding grounds to accusing Daniel will be to connect in connection with the rules of his religion. So the administrators and high officers went to the king and said, long live, live King Darius. We are all in agreement, we administrators, officials, high officers, advisors, and governors, that the king should make a law that will strictly be enforced. Give orders that for the next 30 days, any person who prays to anyone, divine or human, except for you, your majesty, will be thrown into the lion's den. And now your majesty issue and signed the law, and he did that, and Daniel hears about that, and you know what he does? He does the exact same thing that he's been doing over the course of time. Three times a day, it says, he went to his room, he opened the windows, he faced Jerusalem, and he prayed to God. And of course, we know the story, if you've read the book of Daniel, if you haven't, I encourage you to read it. Uh, it's a fascinating story of being obedient to God. But, uh, the the uh, advisors to King Darius saw that. They took him before the king, and all these things happened. I wanna, it's interesting that, um, I, as I'm looking at this, there's, there's an interesting side of this. Why did Daniel do that? Nowhere in the Bible does it say that we have to publicly, right? They were saying you can't pray, but Daniel, again, three times a day, went into his room in the upper, upper area, opened the windows faced Jerusalem. Again, there's nowhere in the Bible that says when you pray, you face Jerusalem. But Daniel did that uh, because that was his habit. Biblical submission is neither blind nor absolute, but it's always respectful. Not only did Daniel do that, even of doing that, he took the results of his choice. Daniel actually was thrown into the lion's den and according to Scripture, he didn't go there kicking and screaming and trying to get away and escape. He went there again with that same resolve. This is what God told me to do. This is what I'm going to do. I recognize that I'm disobeying an order. I will willingly take my punishment. God desires to not save me. Biblical submission is neither blind nor absolute. I want to I give you just a, a few take-home principles. My time is slipping away, but we're going to go through these. A couple of things for you to think about. The goal... The goal of honoring, the goal of submitting to authority is this, to advance Jesus' story. The goal actually in doing this is not to, to, be, to be blind, but it's to advance Jesus, to make God look good, to turn people's heart towards him, people that are hostile towards God, to give them a reason to be open or respectful to God. To take away, in, in Paul's situation, to take away the Roman government's uh, reason to persecute the Christians. They were looking for reasons to persecute Christians. And Paul is saying, listen, let's not do that. On the other side, let's, let's bring people to Christ even by the way we act. Not just by telling them about Jesus, but may my actions be such that people are drawn into a relationship with Jesus. Written in that context, or in the context of of Nero being in power. Uh, he was kind of, uh, we'll call him the Hitler of the era. 
In in 1 Peter chapter 1, it says, Dear friends, I urge you as foreigners and exiles. Again, that idea of we're we're not members or we're not citizens of this world, but we're foreigners of this world. As foreigners and exiles to abstain from sinful desires which wage war against your soul, live, in such, live such good lives among the pagans that though they accuse you of doing wrong, they may see your good deeds and glorify God on the day he... Submit yourselves for the Lord's sake to every human authority, whether to the emperor or to the supreme authority or to the governor who has, are set by him who punishes those who do wrong and to command those who do right. For it is God's will that by good you should silence the ignorant talk of foolish people. Submit yourselves for the Lord's sake. You say, well, pastor, that's, oh, man, that's, that's, quite, a, that's quite a task because I don't really agree with all the things the, the, the government does. Do you recognize that if that scripture is true, which it is, the Bible is true, every authority has been in authority by God. Catch with me, that does not mean that every authority is godly authority. It means that they've been placed there by God. And, and because of that, we're to honor and respect and obey within the context of, of what the Bible says but they're there because of God's authority. Look at what Paul wrote to, to Timothy. Timothy was left in Ephesus to oversee a whole bunch of church plants, small house churches in essence. And Paul writes this, I urge you, first of all, number one, to pray for all people, not just the people coming to your little gathering, not just the people that you think are nice, not just the good businessmen in town that seem to be honest. Pray for all people. Ask God to help them intercede on their behalf and give thanks for them. Pray this way for kings and all who are in authority. Again, the context of the Roman Empire is in authority, persecuting Christians, looking for things. There was great power struggles in the Roman uh, structure. They were constantly looking for ways that they could uh, put their thumb on the people and increase their power as an individual ruler or governor of an area. Paul says, pray for those that are on, in authority. Why? Why would we do that? He goes on, he says, so that we can live peaceful and quiet lives marked by godliness and dignity. That's a good reason, isn't it? Why would we do that? This is, a good, this is good and pleasing and pleases God our Savior who wants everyone to be saved and to understand the truth. Do you recognize, is it easy for you to understand that if we're not obeying the laws, if we're not living under authority, it's hard for people to accept our witness? It's difficult. We put them in a bad place. About a few months ago, at the end of the winter, I was driving to church. I come to the in the morning on Sundays and just spend time praying and going over my notes. I was driving to the church. There's really not a lot of people out at that time of the day. And so I was driving here and just kind of minding my own business, uh, listening to some uh, worship music on the radio. And uh, I kind of, in those situations, I kind of just, there's nobody around, so I kind of just go on autopilot somewhat. And I was driving here and all of a sudden, uh, I see flashing lights behind me, and I'm thinking, oh, this is great. This is wonderful. What did I do? I, I missed up. I must have done something wrong. And so, you know, I pulled over. Police officer, Illinois City police officer, uh, sits there for a second as they do and puts his light on my mirror and blinds me. And I felt like a criminal ready to go to jail. I was going to stick my hands out the window so he could put the cuffs on me. And <laughs> like, I don't know what I did, but... 
And, and this looks really bad because he's going to say, who are you and what are you doing out? And I'm going to say, my name is Pastor Chuck Peterson and I, I'm going to pray. <laughs> what, do you, what do you do? <laughs> uh, I was, I was un, unaware of what I had done, but uh, there's that moment. And, and fortunately, uh, just so you don't think I do something terrible, I had a burnt out headlight. And so he pulled me over. And I was so thankful because, you know, it, there's that moment probably could have caught me doing something wrong. Uh, you could have, could have caught me doing the wrong thing. I was thinking about that th- this week. Uh, last Sunday, I actually was on my way to church and the lights in town were all messed up. And so I sat at a light for what seemed like 20 minutes and it was red. And finally, there's nobody around. I don't think anybody went through the intersection that whole time I sat there. And I finally just thought, you know what, there's nobody here. I'm just going to go. And I thought, it would just be my luck that there's a police down there and I would get a ticket on the way to church. But that didn't happen either. <laughs> Why do we submit? We submit and answer Jesus' story. Can I just say this? Jesus doesn't need your help, but God wants to use you. God wants to use you to advance his kingdom. And not only is that good for the kingdom, it's also good for you. Because just like that passage we read in Romans chapter 13, if we're doing the right things, we don't have to fear authority. That's good for you. It's good for you to be used by God because that in itself is the essence of why we live. To to exalt God, to worship God, and to be an ambassador for other people. If you haven't had the experience of telling someone about Jesus, if you haven't had the opportunity to lead someone in in a, in, a, in a salvation prayer where they accept Christ as their Savior. If you've not done that, you don't even know what you're missing. If you've been used by God in some way, you know that that becomes the passion of our heart. It literally drives who we are because there's such joy and there's such fulfillment in being able to be used by God. <clears throat> a second principle, and we're going to have to rush through this a little bit, I apologize. God is in control of who is in control. Contrary to our occasional thoughts, God did not, put, not, God did not make a mistake. Uh, the leaders and authorities over us are not there by chance. God did not make a mistake. He's not going to wake up one day this week and go, oh, did you see what I did? Oh, I made a colossal mistake. That's what God does. He doesn't make mistakes. Romans 13, 2 again, there is no authority except that which God has established. The authority that exists has been established by God. King Daniel wrote during the reign of Nebuchadnezzar, Praise to the name of God forever and ever. Wisdom and power are his. He changes times and seasons. He deposes kings and raises raises up others. He gives wisdom to the wise and knowledge to the discerning. I love what, what the book of Revelation talks about in Revelation chapter 18. It talks about the fall of Babylon. You know, we, we live in an era where we're kind of before the second coming of Jesus. We're looking forward to that. But I love, the, especially the end of the book of Revelation, because at the end of the book of Revelation, it talks about Babylon as a symbol. All that's wrong in the world, spiritually. And at the end of the book of Revelation, it talks about how Babylon is going to fall, and Christ is going to reign, and there will be no more sin or wickedness. There will be none of that stuff, and it's going to be an, an incredible situation uh, that we'll experience as Christ followers. I love that because sometimes we do get to that point where we just think, like, who's in control? 
Is anybody in control? Is there any common sense even? And yet, the Bible says that Christ will be the one in his timing, in his day. I want to take us to, to the last part of this, and worship team, you guys can come. The third principle is we are called to honor the position, not necessarily the person. Nebuchadnezzar really wasn't honorable, we'll say. He did a lot of things in, in, the, in the book of Daniel. Again, I encourage you to read it, but there's a lot of things that he did were not very honorable. However, his position was a position of honor. If, you're, if you recall, or I'll just share this with you, there was one point that, that King Nebuchadnezzar had been so wicked that God decided that he was going to make him uh, seem like a crime, like a, a person that had literally lost his mind. And it was going to be for about a year, a season. And it was going to happen. And, and not only what is it going to happen, God gave Daniel the words to go and tell King Nebuchadnezzar, this is what's going to happen to you. Now, then me or probably most of us in this room, having experienced what Daniel experienced with King Nebuchadnezzar, we probably would have been like, dude, this is going to be the best day ever. I get to tell the king he's going to go crazy. Ah! Here's the thing. It's not even remotely close to what Daniel did. In fact, his words when he went to talk to the king were, Oh, king, wish it was anybody but you. And then he went on to tell. We honor those in authority. We respect those in authority. Why? If for no other reason than number one, they were placed there by God. And number two, we honor them because it brings glory to God. It opens the door for us to have an influence. As, as followers of Christ, Many of us in the room can, can think back to what it was like pre-Christian, pre-accepting Jesus as our Savior and the chaos and the, the turmoil and all the things that, that didn't seem to be right in those moments. And many of us can think about that moment when we accepted Christ and, and how it was so different in that moment. Realizing that we were Christ followers, realizing that God had forgiven our sin, that we were free from the guilt and the shame that we had lived in. Many of us can think of those, those things, and it, it astounds us how big of a change that was. Here's my, here's my challenge to us. That moment, whether you can remember that moment or you've just grown up in, in faith and you've lived in peace, that experience is not intended just for you. The Bible says that God is not willing that any should perish. In other words, God wants that experience to be common for every single person. And the reality is, the truth is, most people will only see the Jesus that you show them. Not even the Jesus that you talk about, but most people will only see the Jesus that you show them. And one amazing thing is that is when you live your life for Christ, you live your life uh, doing the things that that we should do as followers of Christ, learning the Scripture, abiding by the Scripture, living a life full of the Spirit, being led by the Spirit. When we live that way, one of the most amazing things is when people come up to us and say, hey, there's something different about you. I'm not sure what that is, but I've got this going on in my life. I've got this issue. 
can you, can you just help me with that? And what an amazing thing when our life is such an example of Jesus that people recognize that and they come to us and say, hey, there's something different. You've got something I want. Again, Paul is saying, it's not, it's not the authority over you, or whatever they might or might not be, or however you might or might not agree with them. The authority is there. It's given by God. It's up to us to obey. Heavenly Father, I thank you for this morning. I thank you for your word. I pray that you'd help us not to try to circumvent uh, things that we don't agree with. Help us to be diligent, to be honoring and respectful, even if we have to disagree or disobey. May it be done in the, the right heart and the right spirit. Help us not to be off on our own little tangent and begin to interpret Scripture the way, uh, a way that it was not intended. But Lord, help us to be obedient to you, Lord God. Help us to respect and honor. And Lord, if there's a point that comes where we can't, help us, Lord God, to not to be disrespectful. But Lord, help us not to just not to just walk away, but also to be honoring enough to take the penalty for that. Lord, I just thank you for that. Lord, thank you that you took the penalty for our sin. Lord, every single one of us was sinful and away from you. Every single one of us continues to fail. But by your grace and your mercy, you continue to draw us back into your presence. And Lord, we thank you for that this morning. Help us to live a life that's worth being a representative of Jesus Christ in the world that we live. Lord, I thank you for that. His heads are bowed still and eyes are closed. If you've never invited Jesus to be the Lord of your life, to be your Savior, it's very simple. The Bible says we've all sinned and come short of the glory. It says the wages of the sin or the result of that sin is separation from God. Uh, literally, that means we can't be in the presence of God with sin, unconfessed sin in our heart. <clears throat> and so Jesus sent his son to die on a cross, to assume the responsibility, to assume the, the penalty for all of our sins, even though he was perfect, he was put on the cross to pay the price for our sin. And really that means that, that what we have to do is accept that he died on the cross for our sin, believe in him, and ask him to come into our heart and be the Lord of our life and forgive us of those sins. This morning, if there's someone here that has never done that, or maybe you've done it, and it's, it's, gonna, it's kind of grown cold in your heart, and this morning you want to just make a refreshing of that, committing your heart again to the Lord. If that's you this morning, would you just uh, lift your hand quickly and let me see that? I want to just pray for you, kind of lead you in a prayer. Thank you. Very good. Anybody else that would like to follow in that, that step of inviting Jesus to be the Lord of your life this morning? Hallelujah. Thank you. I see that hand. <clears throat> awesome. This is the best decision you could ever make in your entire life. It has impact on where you'll spend eternity, which is not just this life, but where you'll spend life You've been listening to A Sermon from the Edge, a ministry of the Edge Church in Winona, Minnesota. If the Lord has spoken to your heart through this message, we would love to hear about it. Contact information is available at winonaedge.org. Thanks for listening.